This is a Defocus Media production. Hey everybody, I'm your four-eyed professor, Chris Levens, and I'm super excited to talk to you today. Our roll call is for new and experienced ODs, optometry students, and even those just interested in this profession. We'll cover a number of topics together, and I'll help you see them through a professor's eyes. Please take your seats. School's in session. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining the podcast today. Uh, We're actually going to cover a topic that, quite frankly, is really important. And it's important for a lot of us through the duration of our careers. uh, And that's interviewing. I've touched on this a bit before by myself, but today I'm fortunate to have a couple of interviewing experts with us to really dive into this in a, in a unique way. So I'm going to bring the first expert. This is Ms. Emily Ramos. Hey, Em, how are you? Thanks for joining the podcast this evening. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. So before I introduce the other guests, would you walk us through uh, your current role or any past roles that that you've been responsible for interviewing? Sure, absolutely. So my current role is at a global technology company. What I'm doing right now is really focused on employee experience and engagement. I also focus on promoting a positive workplace culture and then DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion. In prior roles, I've taken on kind of more of an HR generalist background. And then I also have just a little bit of experience in talent acquisition and recruiting. Fantastic. So you're definitely bringing a wealth of experience to the cast today, and I am introducing our next guest, Mr. Bob Raven. Bob, for joining us as well. Hey, Chris. Appreciate the opportunity. So similar to what Em just talked to us about, walk us through your past or current roles and, and really how you've been had some responsibility on the interviewing front. Yeah, for the last 30 years, I've been in the home services business, whether it's been with a security industry or the flooring industry, and had a myriad of different roles from frontline sales manager to general manager to regional director to VP roles. So when it comes to interviewing, I've interviewed every single level of candidate that you can possibly be interviewing from a sales consultant to a sales manager to a general manager to a, a regional director. Fantastic. So I, I think what the audience is really going to appreciate is, you know, if we had had this interaction, well, we probably wouldn't have had this computer interaction five to 10 years plus ago. It, it probably wouldn't have never been invented to the extent that it is now. But typically we would have done a host of live face to face interviewing or phone interviews. Well, now post COVID fast forward, we have this type of technology at our fingertips well, we have virtual interviews sometimes. And, and, and my, I would think that there's some considerations to prep uh, and to prepare for if you're going into an interview face-to-face via phone, via virtual. So we'll be sure to cover on all those topics. So as we dive in, let, let's start off with something fun. Let's do a little bit of role playing. So in this, I'd like uh, M to be the interviewer, and Bob, you are the inter- interviewee applying for a job, and maybe we'll touch on some things purposefully that 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 you mess up on that we can unpack later. So I'm going to leave it to you guys. Let's begin the interview. Okay. Sure. Well, welcome, Bob Raymond. Really excited to be interviewing you today. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh, well... I've been working in the retail industry for a long time, and I'm super excited to work with your company. Um, I have uh, taken on a lot of responsibility in the past and worked overtime and really done everything I could to try to make my employer happy. That's great. So I see that you applied for our entry-level sales position, and you said that you had prior retail experience. So can you tell me a little bit about why you are now applying for the role at our company? Well, uh, the last job I had, you know, the boss and I got a little bit sideways on certain things. So it just seemed like it was a good time to leave and try to find something else. Interesting. Could you expand a little bit more about that and how you dealt with the conflict with your prior manager? Well, there were times where, you know, customers would be upset about things and and they would start yelling at me. So it's 
kind of find myself yelling right back at them. And my boss didn't like that, you know, so I guess we're not supposed to yell at customers. I don't, I don't know if they yell at me first. It seems like I can yell right back at them. Got it. Well, that is a very interesting insight. Thank you for, for your response. Can you describe to me what you feel like is maybe some of your top three strengths and what you would be able to bring to this position? Um, well, I think I'm really good at arriving on time. Okay. And I know in my past job was the grocery industry. So I was really good at uh, keeping, you know, the grocery shelves stored appropriately. Okay. Um, and I seem to get along with my peers really well. Got it. Would you say that you, uh, would you describe yourself as a people person? Do you feel like you have a passion for people? Because I will say in this role, there's going to be a lot of cold calling. You need to be very personable. Is that something that you think you excel at? Um, I think I'm pretty good at that. When you say cold calling, do you mean like on the phone or do you mean like, you know, door to door or what kind of cold calling yeah. are you talking about? That's a great question, Bob. We're mostly talking about calling over the phone. So calling people that you've never really spoken to before, trying to sell them our project or our product and telling them just a little bit more about the company. Uh, what kind of hours would that be? So this is going to be your typical 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. type of role. Like what days? So it is going to be Monday through Friday. Um, is that going to be doable for you? Nine o'clock is kind of early. I mean, my last company, I didn't really have to report to work till about 11. So can, can we like make it 11 to 5? Unfortunately, we do have a strict 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. policy. So to be considered for this position, we would need you to be available to start work at 9 a.m. <sighs> okay. I, I guess I could try to make that work. Okay. Well, I All right, that's good. <laughs> so we had a lot to unpack there. <laughs> we really set the bar low <laughs> as we entered that interview. Uh, I think that that was a slam dunk no. Uh, but before we unpack, uh, let, let me just take a little bit of a break and hear a word from our sponsors. Sight. It awakens us to the present moment. Guides us through essential daily tasks. Shows us the road immediately ahead and a future we can only hope to witness. Sight gives us hope, but retinal diseases can take our sight away, along with the hope that goes with it. At Iveric Bio, we see a world where vision is preserved. Our mission is to deliver transformational therapies for people with retinal diseases so they can live with hope in sight freedom to drive, the ability to work, the comfort of looking into a loved one's eyes, or the simple confidence to knowingly say, I see you. Iveric Bio. Hope in sight. So let's, um, let's unpack that interview. So um, Emily, why don't you recall some of the things that Bob introduced that he probably shouldn't have? And then the two of you share, maybe you could get across in a different way what the intent was behind his comment, or alternatively, that he should have just avoided that topic altogether. Sure. So I think the first thing that Bob brought up, which was extremely comical, is that he was having some issues with his prior boss and he didn't know that you just couldn't yell at people. It seems like there was a lot of conflict there and he just didn't agree with clearly his boss's management style or he's just a very inexperienced worker and truly didn't know that it's not okay to yell at customers or whoever you're dealing with. So I think from Bob's perspective, he was trying to get across right again that he just really didn't get along with his manager, which is definitely going to happen over the course of your career. You may have a manager that you really just don't get along with, you don't really see eye to eye with. If that is the case and you are asked a question about how you dealt with that conflict, 
the best way is probably not to say, I guess I just can't yell at people or I just didn't really agree with, you know, what my manager said. You can definitely pose that in a different way and say, you know, me and my manager, we really had different opinions on management styles. And I was very upfront with the way that, you know, I like to work. And at the end of the day, I really respected them, but it just came down to different types of working styles. Bob, did you have anything to add on that front? Yeah, I think, you know, it's never a good idea to share your dirty laundry. <laughs> you know, you don't want to lie in an interview, but uh, you certainly can omit some things that, uh, especially if you're trying to get a job with a brand new company, it's never a good idea to just tell them all the terrible things that you may have done um, and how you got specifically let go, uh, especially in an in industry, the way the industry is nowadays, it seems like it's really tough to find out sometimes why people leave companies. So since it is tough to find out, and it's not like it was 20 years ago where you could pick up the phone and call former employers and they would tell you everything, uh, it's probably best to remain a little bit silent uh, as you're trying to get this new opportunity. Yeah, I, I, I caught on that too. I, I don't think the first thing out of my mouth in the interviewer would be the challenges that I faced. I think I would try to at least lean into the things I'm good at and did well and, and maybe wrap up at a later time if I'm asked about conflicts, how I dealt with those, then bring it up later. But but you really led right out of the gate with with with, with an issue that was negative and not positive. Well, and there's, there's no doubt as I thought about this podcast, I literally started thinking of all the interviews I've done and mm -hmm. which ones were really good and which ones were just insane. <laughs> And so I drew upon some real, like everything I said, I have heard from somebody, which seems just mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah. All right. What else did you, what else did you pick up on? Um, I mean, definitely the last kind of point that we were talking about not being able to work within the working hours, that is definitely going to be an issue. And it's not to say that you can't ask about working hours within an interview. That is absolutely important information to know. But even if that's not really doable for you, you can definitely go about it in a different way. Also, you should probably kind of have a general idea of the working hours of a role that you are applying to. So let's say I'm applying to a retail worker role. I know that those hours, I'm probably going to be required to be a little bit more flexible. Maybe I'm going to have to be able to work evenings. Maybe I'm going to only be able to work mornings. That's something I can definitely say during my interview. But for the most part, if you are applying to like what Bob was applying to in this fake scenario, an entry-level sales role, you're going to kind of know that but by and large, those are going to be your typical nine to five jobs. So just making sure you're doing a little bit of research on that beforehand. Yeah, so it, it, it occurred to me when you asked about his three strengths that he was bringing to the table. Um, the first one that you said was you're on time. OK, well, congrats to you for, for showing up at 11 a.m. on time. But I, I again, I, if that was your number one strength, I may push that one down a bit. And I, if I recall, I think you only hit two out of two strengths when asked for three. I'd use three as the minimum and maybe maybe share more. But uh, you're really on the low low end of that scale. Yeah, and I think what that shows is interview prep, right? Is your ability to you you have to know certain questions are going to be asked in every single interview. And you have to have prepared exactly what your answers are going to be for some of those more generic questions. And so when we meet candidates that really haven't had any type of interview prep, in my opinion, that tells you kind of how they would respect the job if they were to get it. Right. Yeah. The other thing about that question that I find very interesting is you can absolutely know what your top three strengths are, but you more than likely have 10 strengths, 15 strengths that you're really proud of. So just like Bob was saying, it's really important to prep before the interview. Definitely look at the job description, see exactly what that role is asking of you. And then when you get asked the question, what are your top three strengths? You can kind of cater to the description um, that is posted about the job. So I was kind of trying to help Bob out a little bit, right? So you know that in a sales role, you're definitely going to need to be able to talk to people. You need to be personable. So you might have heard me asking him, do you think that's something you could do? Would you describe yourself as, you know, a charismatic person? There are definitely ways to answer that question and really cater to what the job is actually asking you to do. 
Mm -hmm. So are there any other things that, that, that you would advise somebody going into an interview for that topics that you just would like to avoid from either the interviewer perspective or the or more importantly, the interviewee perspective? Sure. So I can kind of start us off with this. I think from an interviewer perspective, it's pretty obvious. You know, there are certain questions that you cannot ask with regards to race, age, ethnicity, all of those different types of things. So I'm going to focus a little bit more on the interviewee questions. Um, I think it's totally fine to kind of have it in the back of your head questions about maybe pay, benefits, uh, work schedules, and things of that nature. But you might want to stay away from this on the very first interview. I think those are more types of questions that you're going to want to ask, you know, towards the end of the interview or even in, you know, subsequent interviews if you're lucky enough to get a follow-up interview. Sometimes it just comes off as you're asking for the wrong reasons. Obviously, everyone needs a job. We all need to work and we need money, but that maybe is not the best question to ask when you are first interviewing for a role. Yeah, and, and I think when you're interviewing uh, people, you you just have to make sure you don't ask all of those the, the list of questions that you're not allowed to ask. So I can ask people if they have reliable transportation. I can't ask them what year car they drive. Okay. Uh, I can ask people if in the past they've been very reliable in getting to work, you know, on a regular basis. I can't ask them, do you have a bunch of kids that get sick a lot? So you're going to call in sick a lot. You know, you, you really, there's certain, if they want to open up the door to tell you about their family, then potentially you can ask some follow-up questions on that, but you can't be the person that opens up that type of door um, with that. And I think it's just important that as, as people are interviewing and as people are being interviewed, you have to prepare for who the person is you're going to talk to. I can't tell you how many times I have been interviewed and the person that's interviewing me looks like they're looking at my resume for the first time on the call. Okay. And vice versa. Uh, I want to make sure that when I'm interviewing for a particular role, if I can find out some information about the interviewer, I want to find that out. So whether I go to LinkedIn and find that person there, I may find somebody. I live in Dallas. I may find somebody that went to SMU or went to TCU or went to the University of Texas uh, that we may have something in common. And I can chit chat about that and kind of break the ice a little bit before we get into interview questions. And you never find any of that out unless you do some research. I love what you both said. Uh, so, but before I, uh, before I follow up, you both mentioned a topic that I was going to get to later anyway. So let's really tackle it now. And that is there, there seems to be an art and a strategy when to bring up the topic of pay and benefits. Um, it's, it, I think you both agreed that it may not be suitable for the first interaction and so, so when, if the interviewer isn't bringing it up, obviously that's important to me, the interviewee. So what's your best strategy on how to bring that up? If we have to be the ones interviewing for the job that bring it up because it's not brought up to us. Yeah, I'll go first this time. So I, I think, first of all, when you're applying for a role, you generally have a pretty good idea of what the salary range is. OK, especially depending on what level of role it is. And if you have a general idea of what the salary range is then, and you're accepting the interview, OK, then really my job is to find out, is this job going to be a good fit for me? And so I don't even need to talk about salary until I know for sure that Emily is presenting a role that I'm really interested in doing. OK, so I find myself, even though I might be being interviewed, I tend to do interviewing to find out what is the day to day tasks of that role? What is the responsibility? What's the leadership like? What's the culture like in that organization? And then if we move on to a second interview, that's usually when we may talk more about, OK, can we talk a little about compensation, a little bit about benefits, things like that? 
Definitely. So I know there are some laws that were just recently passed. I live in New York City, and so this is definitely applicable to where I live, where employers actually have to share the pay range in the job description. So if you are lucky enough to have that, then you can definitely go into that interview just kind of knowing that in the back of your head because you're not going to obviously apply for a role where the salary is going to be way, way, way too low for you. But let's say that's not your situation. Let's say you are applying for a role. You have absolutely no idea, no idea what the salary range is. To Bob's point, definitely do a little bit of research. See what the salary range will be in that specific geography, because that is also going to have an impact on the salary range. More than likely, especially if you are interviewing with a really good hiring manager or a really good recruiter, they actually will share salary information in that first interview with you because they also don't want to waste their time. So they are not going to interview you um, and go through that entire interview, that entire interview process, three plus interviews without sharing that salary information. So I would say try not to worry too much about the salary information. If you are going on your third interview and it still hasn't been brought up, then I would definitely have that conversation, even though it's uncomfortable, share your salary expectations with whoever you're interviewing with. But more than likely, they are going to share that information with you so that they don't waste your time and theirs. I think that's really helpful. And, and I would tend to agree that most of the audience uh, to the podcast are eye care professionals. And if they're, if they're applying for a job at a large scale company, a large scale uh, industry site, um, yeah, of course the job will be posted and, and, and there'll be more details. That being said, they could be apply, applying to an incredibly small business or maybe there's only one provider and two or three employees, and this job wasn't found in the classifieds. It wasn't found on Indeed.com or Monster.com or some other websites. This was just word of mouth. And so there may have been zero advertisements and quite frankly, really sometimes not much thought given to the interviewer. Uh, and these questions can be off-putting and really put the interviewer in a position where they're thinking, Oh no, I can't afford this person versus wow, which is I which is a strategy I would encourage, which is I just found the missing puzzle piece to my practice. Uh, and, and I think that's really what every, all interviewees should be going for. Absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. Um all right, so let's talk about today's world. You know, in 2023 we could really find ourselves on phone interviews, live face-to-face, virtual, or all of the above for certain roles. Um, so let's talk about where we once were, where, where pretty much everything was live, uh, either in person or in real time via phone. Um, what, were some, what are some things that come to mind, first off, that deliver a positive first impression when, let's say it's face-to-face? Sure, I'll let Bob take the first stab at this one. Oh, me? Okay. Yeah, I think the most important thing for me when I'm interviewing somebody, I want to make them comfortable. Okay. I've already reviewed their resume. I've already made some notes on the things I want to dig into a little bit more. Uh, They're not talking to me if I don't think they're at least a viable candidate. So first, I need to know about their personality. So I need to know, can I make them comfortable? Can we exchange some small talk? Can I find out a little bit about their personal life? a little bit about their family life, a little bit about what they like to do for sports or things like that. So how can I get them to share that information without coming right out and saying, hey, are you married? Do you have kids? Because I really can't ask them those questions. Okay. And and I find that just getting into some small talk with them before we really start to talk about the job, if you do it well, the, the interviewee opens up pretty fast. Okay. If they don't, if they remain incredibly stiff, then I'm going to have to try to open them up just in some of the questions that I ask them. Because yeah, I know I'm not going to want to work with somebody that probably is really, really stiff and really rigid. I want someone that comes into my organization that we can have a lot of fun. We can work our tails off and get a lot of work done, but we can have fun doing it. I appreciate that. Definitely. So. Go ahead. So I, I was going to ask some very specific questions and, and either or both of you can, can respond. Okay. Um, 
you know, we might be interviewing in something as for, for, and, and the challenge can be somewhat simplistic and, uh, and challenging all the same. And that is how, how might we figure out how to pronounce somebody's name here? You're giving the interview and you don't know whether I'm Leibens or Leibens or you're uh, interviewing and you're trying to, to address M as Ramos or Ramos. How do we navigate that? Because we don't want to put somebody off just by mis mispronouncing a name. Definitely. I am more than happy to take this question. So in my current role now, I work for a global company. So we have employees in nine countries. And this has been a very interesting topic when we think about global inclusion, because not only do we have to worry about maybe pronouncing someone's name incorrectly, we have to worry about different like time zones if it's applicable um, for them. We have to worry about different cultures, different management styles, different communication styles. So the best approach that we have taken is just asking, encouraging really open communication and being extremely transparent and honest. So maybe I'm walking into the interview room and I, once again, and maybe this time I'm interviewing you, Chris, and I, like you said, don't know if your last name is Livens or Levens. Just ask, say, hi, Chris, how are you doing today? You respond, I'm so sorry. Could you tell me how to pronounce your last name just so that I make sure I get it right? Just really simple questions like that can make a world of difference. Yeah, that was very professional the way you said that. So let, let me tag a follow-up question on that because there are some cultural challenges, uh, whether it's international or intercontinental, there, there are challenges. What is your opinion on how to approach grammar? Is it okay for me to use colloquial language that's, that's common to me in slang? Do I have to be very particular about how I articulate and the words that I choose? How do I navigate that? Yes, this is definitely challenging. It was extremely challenging for me to even try and get used to this because I think especially in the U.S., it's interesting to see a lot of our slang has to do with sports. So like if someone has done a really great job, we say, hey, you knocked it out of the park. Just little sayings like that are not inclusive, not only to other countries, but maybe I'm a woman and I don't really even know what that means. Not to generalize, obviously, that women don't know about sports sports, but just using that as an example, of course. Sure. So you definitely do want to try and be as inclusive as possible. And it's very difficult because these have become a part of our everyday vernacular, but really just trying to be self-aware of some of the things that you say that are maybe not as inclusive and trying to find a more inclusive solution to those. Yeah, I like that. So Bob, I have a direct question to you because you brought this up here earlier. And I think that this is a really important topic. And, and how to navigate telling the truth. I want to be, I want to be honest. I may not want to tell the whole truth, but I also may not want to lie and have something, find something out later. And then I'd be questioned, why didn't you bring this up when I, when you were asked, how do I navigate truth telling? I, I think it really comes down to how specific the question is. Okay. So if someone finds out as you're walking through your resume, and they say, okay, so I see you left company A for company B. Now, why did you leave company A? Was that on your choice or was that the company's choice? If they ask you a specific question like that, then you're probably bound to tell the truth and try to explain as generically as you can uh, why the company decided to let you leave, okay? If you left on your own for other opportunities, that's fantastic, that's pretty easy to explain, all right? Um, and, and listen, if you get to a point where you were simply fired for something, then I think you have to explain what happened and what you learned from it and how you'll never let it happen again. Okay. I think that that's fair. And I think that that's probably a good practice. Um, so before we wrap up this live interview piece, um, this next question for both of you is, is actually applicable to both uh, in that, I'm, I'm the interviewee and I'm nervous. I'm nervous going in. This is a big deal for me. This is an intimidating situation where you hold the power and I'm trying to, I'm trying to navigate my way in. Um, is it okay to be nervous? Uh, and then what do you expect of me? How should I be dressed? Where do I look? How do I sit? Uh, do I bring pad and paper? Do I have questions prepared? How do I present myself positively? 
Absolutely. And that is such a multifaceted question. So I'm going to try on touch, going to try to touch on all of those points. First and foremost, it is absolutely okay to be nervous and that is totally normal. So you should never feel bad about feeling nervous because most likely that interviewer is also going to feel a little bit nervous. They're meeting someone new. They're trying to fit someone into this role. Maybe the job search has been happening for months and months and months and months. So just remember that as nervous as you might be, they might be nervous as well. The one thing that has always kind of stuck with me about trying to you know, push down that nervousness or make myself feel a little bit better is that both you and the interviewer have the same goal. You both want you to get the job, right? So they are on your side. They really, really want you to succeed. And I think kind of reframing it, not that they are, you know, really testing you or putting you through the ringer, more of just like they're trying to figure out if you can accomplish a goal that they have had, which is hiring someone into this role. So really just reframing it into that perspective can definitely help. It's helped a lot for me. Um, in terms of presenting yourself, you are definitely going to want to wear something professional. So nothing super inappropriate, nothing with political slogans or anything like that. But you're also going to want to wear something that you are comfortable in. So let's say for me, I know that I am not super comfortable in, let's say, a dress. I'm a lot more comfortable in pants and maybe a nicer blouse. So I can still be professional in pants and a blouse because I know that's what I'm comfortable in. Um, and I'm just not super comfortable in a dress. Um, but yeah, so that can still be very, very professional. Um, you're also going to want to try your best not to fidget. And this can be very, very difficult, particularly if you are an extremely nervous person. But try your best just to sit still, take a couple of deep breaths, um, one of the things that I've learned, particularly before the interview, that kind of helps slow your heart rate is breathing in and inhaling and clenching your fists. And then as you breathe out to kind of let your fists go, kind of helps to redirect the blood flow um, away from your heart so that your heart doesn't beat quite as fast. Then obviously just taking those deep breaths. So again, just to recap, it's totally okay to be nervous. They want you to get the job as much as you want to get the job. So, you know, just try your best. And at the end of the day, even if you don't get the job, it was a learning experience for you. Yeah, I think I think those are fantastic tips. I think I have a tendency to do this sometimes when I talk, so I look up. Um, and you have to be real careful about that because then people will wonder, are they focusing on something else? Uh, I would say put your phone as far away from you as you possibly can when you're on an interview because there is nothing more disrespectful than when you are trying to ask someone questions and it's apparent they're looking at something else or maybe even typing on the computer that they're doing the interview on, which is a little bit crazy. Um, and I think um, as far as professional dress, to for the most part, I have a rule of thumb that you can't really be overdressed. Now, if you show up in a three-piece suit or a tuxedo, okay, you're probably overdressed <laughs> for most jobs. Um, but I have a tendency for men, for example, depending on the role, that if you just have an open collar shirt and a jacket, that is 100% acceptable to a vast majority of interviews. Um, and even if you just have an open collar, say button down shirt. Now, if you show up in a t-shirt or maybe a polo or something like that, you right. take the risk of the person interviewing, make an evaluation on you just based on that. So I, I think it's better to err upward with the, with the dress code than it is to take a chance that this is a cool company. And you know, if I show up in you know, my golf shirt, I should be perfectly fine. Um, it's probably a bad mistake to make at the wrong time. So I have a tidbit to share, uh, M, on my method to calm my heart rate and my nerves uh, in both a situation like this and, quite frankly, in front of any person that I'm familiar with or a group of people. Uh, it, could be, it could be for public speaking. Um, but similar to your uh, suggestion, I make sure when I first start speaking that after taking a deep breath, I talk louder initially than I normally would and much slower than is normally customary in conversation. And I found that by talking a little bit louder and a little slower, it brings forth a sense of confidence as opposed to talking really quiet and really, really fast. 
and it controls my diaphragm and breathing so that it relaxes me. So anybody who's going up on stage or in this type of a situation, the interview stage, use that as well as the clenching of fist, deep breath and exhale. All right, now let's put Sorry, if I can comment. I love what you yeah, just said ahead. about talking slower because uh, in the sales world, we I call that going into a school zone. So when you get into a really important part with a customer, I will tell all of my sales consultants to need you to go into a school zone. And this is where we talk slower to make sure that our customers understand exactly what we're trying to say. Perfect. School zone. I'm, I'm stealing that one. And, and though it may seem from the speaker's perspective that it's awkwardly slow, from the listener's ears, it's really not at all. It's yeah. really more impactful. Absolutely. All right. So let's pivot. Now we're pivoting to what we're doing now, which is meeting virtually. And this brings with it a whole set of different challenges. So my internet's glitchy. Every time I'm on a Zoom call, something happens to somebody, maybe me, maybe somebody else. What about the space around me? I'm not in your office. I now can control this space. It can, be, it can look weird, off-putting, cluttered. The attention gets misdirected from the applicant now to crazy stuff on the walls. What are the considerations that we really need to think about to position ourselves positively via computer? Yeah, virtual interviewing is definitely tricky, particularly when you are having internet issues or maybe there are people walking in the background. There, are, I mean, there is a slew of issues that can happen. I think the number one thing, particularly if there is a lot going on behind you or around you, if you are having internet issues, is not to panic. I think especially after COVID, when we moved to being completely virtual, people got a lot more relaxed and a little bit more understanding of different circumstances. And a lot of times it's because those problems have happened to them too. So just try your best not to panic. And like we were talking about earlier, I think honesty is the best policy. So let's say that you have kiddos running around behind you, I think it's perfectly acceptable to say, hi, I'm so sorry. You know, you might see my kids running in the background, but, um, you know, I'm really sorry about it. But if you see that, just know that, you know, they, I hope they won't interrupt us too much, but they will be there. So I think calling it out, um, is usually a best policy and best practice. And people are usually very, very understanding. So don't be too worried about that. Yeah, and I think it's important that whatever your background is, you determine, is that a background that is appropriate for an interview? So, Chris, your background is very appropriate for an interview, nice and clean and tight. And my background, I happen to know, is not clean and tight right now, so I have a virtual <laughs> background. Um, I, have, I have two two dogs in the other room because uh, I'm taking this call from home, so both of those dogs get a treat before this call <laughs> to keep right. them very busy, okay? So they won't suddenly start barking and all of a sudden you hear the background noise. Let me ask you a question that I find difficult and I have to remind myself of, and if you've ever encountered this with somebody you're meeting with online or even yourself for that matter, but when, when on a computer interaction, I see myself on the screen, I see who I'm talking to on the screen, but neither of those things is the camera. So how do I remind myself to look in the camera, basically trying to look eye to eye with somebody when my distractions are lower than the camera always? Yeah, so I'll start with this because I am terrible at this, <laughs> okay? Because <laughs> okay. and I, and I Emily's doing a great job. She's just staring straight into the screen and talking as if there's a teleprompter in front of her. And I have a tendency to look at the part of the screen where somebody's talking. Or as I said earlier, when I'm deep in thought, I'll kind of look up here as I'm trying to really describe something to you. So I don't have a good answer for this, but I bet Emily does. <laughs> I was going to say, I honestly don't have a great answer either. I definitely look at the screen, look at the people talking so I can pick up on those visual cues because it's a lot harder to pick up on visual cues when you are virtual. So honestly right. speaking, I never look at the camera, which is probably not great, but it also comes with practice, right? I work from home five days a week, so I have gotten very used to taking meetings on camera. So if that is something that is concerning to you, maybe it is a big source of anxiety, 
FaceTime someone, have a conversation with a family member and kind of just practice really staring at them rather than the distractions that are on your screen or around you. Um, there are definitely certain ways that you can kind of practice this because it is an art form. It is a skill that you kind of just have to learn. Yeah. Like, like you, Bob, I'm, I'm not particularly good at it. I, I took a class once on virtual presenting and the rec the recommendation from that instructor was via post-it note or a smiley face sticker, put it up by the camera with a little two eyes and a smile, because that's not supposed to be there. And it'll attract your attention upward just to remind you to look up. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, what about your opinions about hand gestures? Do I, you know, do I have, do I have happy hands? Do I not have happy hands? Do I, do I want to be engaged as if I'm talking to you face to face or do I not want to do that? For me, I think it's kind of everything in moderation. I think it's totally fine to show some expression, right? But you also don't want to have your hands waving in the camera the entire time because that's very distracting, not only for you when you see yourself in the corner of the screen, but also for the person on the other end of that call. So I think it's kind of a give and a take, but just kind of everything in moderation. Okay, that's fair. And I think he's, I think you have to know what type of talker you are. So I, you know, I'm a talker. I like to use my hands. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if I take an interview standing up, I tend to have a lot more hand gestures. Okay. And if I take an interview sitting down, I can set my hands down on the desk and try to be much more controlled. I can still be vibrant, you know, with facial gestures and things like that, but my hands don't take over the interview. Do you, have, do you have something to say, Emma, before I have a follow-up question? No, go right ahead. Okay. So the, this was something that uh, that went to that went to me via something one of you said, and that was trying to get a connection with the person on the other end of this virtual interview. Um, should that be a strategy of mine? Should I try to find some common interests? Should I try to pass the baton to the interviewer because uh, speaking of humanity, most people do like talking about themselves. And so will they exit the interaction feeling better about it because they were more engaged uh, during the interaction? Yeah, I think the answer is 100% yes. Okay, I will. I go into, I recently started a new job about four months ago. So I was in the interviewing process for a couple of months. And I made sure I did research on every single person I was interviewing with uh, via LinkedIn and knowing about the company and really looking at their personal profile, you know, whether it was what school they went to or I knew what city they lived in or if I saw other cities that they used to work in that potentially were cities that I was really familiar with. OK. And the other thing that I did, which I think is part of making a personal connection, is they always want you to have a couple of questions at the end of the interview. And okay. the average, well, for me, what I see is probably more than half of the people I interview, they don't have a single question. They default mm -hmm. to, oh, well, you answered everything I had. Means they did no research. They didn't plan a question. Okay. Uh, but I always try to have a couple, three, two or three questions that I want to ask. And one of them is specifically about the interviewer. So, Chris, you've been in your current role, I see, for eight years. Tell me how it's different now than when you started at it and and how do you think that you or the company has grown since you got there something like that to where you get to get them to talk about themselves more um and try to stay i try to stay really away from the very generic questions that you would ask at the end of an interview i like that one because that that's probably one that may not have been covered so it's a pretty safe bet you can fall back and use it yeah, when you when you show during the interview that you've done some research, not just on the company, but on the actual person that's interviewing, I think that is significantly more than what the interviewer is expecting. Definitely. Bob, I think you made a fantastic point when you said that everyone loves talking about themselves. I'll share a strategy that I use. And it's probably not a great thing to share, but I'm going to do it anyway. I go into interviews with the intention of spending the entire interview 
making a personal connection with the interviewer. So I have gone on more than one interview where I was asked maybe one question about my prior experience. And the rest of the time, it was just a really great interaction with the person interviewing me. And they came out of that interview saying, wow, you know, you did such a fantastic job. I would really love to move you forward to the next step. And we didn't talk about my experience at all. And maybe they just weren't the best interviewer. That could definitely be the case. <laughs> but I think when you really prioritize making a personal connection with the person on the other end of the phone line, on the other side of the screen, or the person right in front of you, you can actually do a lot in terms of kind of, you know, making that professional connection and kind of moving your career forward. Yeah, and I think that's super important if you know you're talking to an organization where there's going to be multiple levels of interviews. Because um, that first interviewer with respect is a screener. They they picked you out. They think you're good. You know, maybe they had a quick phone conversation with you before they set up the video interview. And then now you're doing the video interview, but they're still, screen, they're still in screening mode. And so your ability to connect with them and, and make yourself significantly different than the other candidates that they're talking to will help you move on to the next level. Definitely. And I think one of the big things that I do is for most people, the first question an interviewer is going to ask is, how are you? And instead of just asking, fine, how are you? I talk about my day a little bit. So maybe I am really looking for a new job. Let's say I have an interview right after I ended my work day. Instead of just saying, yeah, I'm good. Maybe I'm going to say, you know what? I'm feeling a little bit tired today. You know, my day was a little crazy at work. Go over some of the things that happened and then they can commiserate with you because more than likely they had, you know, a crazy day at work too. So just kind of trying to open up that conversation a little bit more can be extremely helpful. So let me give you a challenge. Let's say you're get you get the feeling after glancing away from the camera down at the faces that your interviewer looks bored. If they look bored, they probably are bored. How do you flip this and re-engage the conversation or wrap it up if that's your strategy? Yeah. Go ahead, Emily. That is a very tricky question and it's probably everyone's worst nightmare, right? We never want to bore someone when we are talking about ourselves, which is pretty much all that we do in an interview. Um, and I think this is why you kind of try and find out a little bit more about the interviewer before you go into that interview. Because just like earlier how we were talking about you can cater your strengths to what you see in the job description, you can kind of cater your answers and just the way that you were coming across to the interviewer to something that maybe they might connect a little bit with more. Or you can even just ask them a question in the middle of the interview, even if it's not, you know, the specified time for questions. Just try and get them a little bit more engaged once again just try and find something that you have in common so that they do get re-engaged with you yeah i think i think you can absolutely do that okay but i also think depending on where it is if you think this interview is going down in flames then i think you can also be abruptly honest and and say chris i i don't think i'm answering the questions the way you want me to answer them so um, maybe you can kind of point me in the right direction, or maybe you can tell me where I seem to be missing the, the, I don't want to say okay, missing the boat, fair. you know, but where I'm missing the, the cue here. So that way I can answer the question more thoroughly. So I, you'll be more happy with my answer. So, okay. because they may say, yeah, you're talking about X and I'm asking you about Y. And you just went on about X for, you know, or you went on on X for a long time and you really didn't answer my question. You say, okay, I apologize. I guess I didn't hear your question correctly. If you wouldn't mind asking it again, I'll, I'll give it another try. Because if it's going down, it's going down. You might as well be honest with them. <laughs> you got it. All right. So where I want to wrap this up is I want to remind the audience that I did post a podcast on interviewing specifically for eye care practices over over two years ago. I, th I think you'll find it in the library, October 2021. Uh, is 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 the is the month in which it was posted, and one of the things, the themes that I addressed, we've we've led into here as well, and that is if you're interviewing for a really small business, a really small practice, this this could be an interviewer, it could be 
the practice, administra the, the practice administrator, the lead technician, it could be the only provider in that practice. And they could be quite nervous about bringing a new employee on because they're in their minds, they're thinking sometimes about, yes, this person could really help the practice, but if this interaction starts to go sideways, it could easily flip to, oh no, I can't afford this person. They're asking for X, Y, Z, and my other employees don't get that. And if I offer it to this person, then they're going to want it. And it, it, it just goes down a bad rabbit hole. So the strategy to employees, what I alluded to earlier, is try to position yourself as the missing puzzle piece to that practice that they've always been searching for, some of which they knew they wanted, and now you brought them into some items that they didn't even know they wanted so, until you brought them up. So the response back is, well, this practice isn't on LinkedIn. They're not in the classifieds. We don't use yellow pages anymore. They don't have a website. How do I find this information? So I encourage you to go back to that podcast because with some very simplistic strategies to employ, you can pick up your phone and call the practice. And by asking a few directed questions, you can learn a lot, such as, hey, I'm new to town. I'd like to get an eye exam. Uh, when can I get in? Well, if they say there's eight appointments today, they probably don't need you. If they say the next appointment's like two to four weeks from now, they definitely need you. So that's some information. Um, I have a child. You take care of kids. I have a uh, an elderly mother with visual disability that lives with us. Can you take care of her? Do I have to plan to get my eyes dilated? All these things are very uh, unassuming questions and typical questions that a patient could ask over the phone. But if you ask them, you can actually uncover a wealth of information about the practice that then you recall during the interview to make yourself what that practice needs. And that sometimes is a secret to success. So as we wrap up, thank you again, Emma and Bob, for sharing your expertise. Any closing thoughts on things that we just forgot to talk about? Well, I think I'm just going to repeat what I said before. Not that we forgot to talk about, but preparation, preparation, preparation. Um, you, and it's not just knowing how to answer the basic questions, but it's knowing how to ask the right questions, too. Definitely. And you can absolutely prepare, but I would just caution against over, over, over preparing. You know, there are so many websites out there that you can look at and find interview questions. Um, just find a couple that you feel really comfortable with. You do not have to go over the top, which I know is not what Bob is saying, but I know that kind of researching too much can lead to a lot of anxiety. So I'll just leave you with once again, just being aware that you and the interviewer have the same goal at the end of the day, which is landing you that job. Great place to end. Thank you again for sharing your time and thank you for the audience for tuning in. Uh, please tune in and keep an eye on next month's podcast as well. Class has ended for today and we have no exams or grades approaching. Please email me at foureyedprofessor at gmail.com if there are topics that you would like to hear and see through a professor's eyes.